So are you the kind of person that likes to hear good news? Do, do you like good news? I mean, do you ride down the road hoping that the next song on the oldie station is, you know, tell me something good, you know, and you'll just be singing that all day long. That, that, what, you're, that what you're waiting on? Sorry, you'll be singing that the rest of the day too. In a world full of bad news, we all like to hear some good news. So did you hear about the police officer and the shoplifter? Now, I know that sounds like the start of a joke, but, but I promise that the punchline of this is very real. Last Sunday, a police officer in Toronto, Canada was called uh, to the Walmart because there was an 18-year-old guy who had shoplifted a dress shirt, a tie, and some socks. Well, the police officer began to question him and talk to him and come to find out the, the guy's father had been sick and he was going for a job interview the next day. He was trying to get a job to help out his family and didn't have money, so he was stealing the clothes for the job interview. He was very ashamed. The officer said he, he could just see the shame on this young man. And so instead of arresting him, he bought the dress shirt and the tie and the socks for him so that he could make it to his interview. Uh, this is what Constable uh, Giannison said. This young person has been facing his own difficulties in life, and he was looking to straighten out all that by providing for his family and trying to get a job. This individual didn't have any resources. He wanted to go get that job. That was in his mind. I think he truly made a mistake. Now, just to be clear, the moral of the story is not that shoplifting can help you get a job. Just want to be clear, I'm not, not purporting that. But the reality is that the real moral of the story is that this constable in Toronto, he had a random act of kindness. He found himself in a situation where showing compassion was the right thing to do. In a unique situation, he was uniquely kind and compassionate and merciful and good. Now, incidentally, the kid got the job and he starts work tomorrow morning. <laughs> That's good news at the end of a strange story. King David, the king of Israel, wants to tell you something good. And it's not something good that is temporary, you know, like a, an old 70s song or, or a new shirt or a new tire or new socks. No, the, the something good that he's wanting to hand off to us is, is something that's good today. And it was good last Tuesday. And it was good 1,500 years ago. And it'll be good tomorrow. And it is guaranteed to be good forever. Now that is something good. So what is this good thing? Let's find out. Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. There's a book by Virginia Paul. The title of the book is This Was Sheep Ranching Yesterday and Today. Now, I know most of y'all probably have that book saved in your Kindle favorites, but just in case you don't, there's a great story from Robert Morgan in that book about a shepherd. And the shepherd had a, a herd of sheep, and, and they lived in a remote part of the mountains in Oregon. In fact, it was so remote that every other week, the shepherd had to have supplies shipped in to where they were. It was a very remote spot. Well, somewhere between two of the shipments, the shepherd died of natural causes. The supplier found him when he was going to bring the shipment, 
But the odd thing was that the sheep were great. <laughs> the whole herd was fine. There was none in need. None of them were hurt, and none of them were missing. Why? Well, the shepherd had a sheepdog. And the sheepdog made sure that the sheep were getting out in the morning, going to find food and water. And the sheepdog was getting the sheep back safe at night. And that wasn't all. Virginia Paul goes on. Furthermore, the dog had been traveling several miles each day to another sheep camp where he was given some biscuits. The biscuits were not eaten, but were brought back and placed by the herder's body. The dog had done his best to provide food for his friend and his master. The power of a faithful friend. For many, many, many years, Psalm 23, 6, the, the goodness and the loving kindness that we see here, it has been called two twin sheepdogs. These sheepdogs are, are always on guard. They're always caring for God's people. And so this morning, we're going to look at just one of the twins. We're going to look at the, the goodness, the goodness that follows us. And Lord willing, next week, we'll look at loving kindness. So what kind of goodness is this? And what does surely have to do with it? Well, surely is a, a very strong word. It, it kind of means that it's the only thing here. It's something that, that shouldn't be confusing. So what David is saying is he is saying, look, surely... Without a doubt, I'm certain of this. This is going to happen. There's no way that this doesn't happen. This is perfectly possible, and it's impossible for this not to happen. Now, that's, that's being sure. So what is it that, that David is so surely sure about? Well, he's sure about the goodness of God. He is confident about the goodness of God. He is certain about the goodness of God of God. But how? How can we be certain about the goodness of God when there is so much evil in the world? How can we be confident about the, the goodness of God when there are so many evil things and, and terrible things and hard things and painful things that, that happen in our homes and, and at our jobs and in our schools and in the community? How, how is it that we can be so absolutely confident in the goodness of God when there are so many bad things that are happening? Well, this is one sermon. And so there's no way in one sermon we'll be able to completely take care of all the twists and turns of every circumstance and every situation and every emotion. But that doesn't mean that there are not answers for every circumstance and every situation and every emotion. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am am the last, and there is no God besides me. So, let's just not make this a Bible verse. So the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of David, and the God of Ruth, and the God of Augustine, and the God of Martin Luther, and the God of Martin Luther King Jr., and the God of Amy Carmichael, and the God of Corey Tim Boom, the God of Jim Elliott, 
The God of some of your grandparents and some of your parents. The God of Billy Graham. The God of Johnny Erickson Tata. The God of me. The God of you. That God. That God. Says besides me, there is no God. If you push back, or if you casually ignore, or if you totally reject, or refuse to embrace, Jehovah God, in the equation of the problem of evil, then you will never be able to pull the curtains back and peek in on any hope, especially any hope that lasts. In answering a question about the existence of God because of the problem of evil, Ravi Zacharias says this, when you say there's too much evil in this world, you assume there's good. When you assume there's good, you assume there's such thing as a moral law on the basis of which to differentiate between good and evil. And then he says, but if you assume a moral law, you must posit a moral law giver. But that's who you're trying to disprove and not prove. Because if there's no moral law giver, there's no moral law. And then he says this. If there's no moral law, then there's no good. And if there's no good, then there's no evil. So what is your question? <laughs> I baked some cookies one time. I forgot to add sugar. You know how I knew that I forgot to add sugar? <laughs> because the cookies were gross. You know, there was a lot of confusion with this. If you leave out the principle of an objective standard of goodness, meaning that there's, there's one standard, there's one place that all goodness has to come from. If you leave that out of your understanding of the philosophy of life or the meaning of life or the problem of evil, then your soul will always have something that doesn't taste good. Or your soul may have absolutely no taste at all. It may just, just sit there in confusion and pain and wonder. And even if you embrace that Jehovah God is the standard of moral goodness, that doesn't mean that your soul will not taste the realities and the effects of evil in this world. There's no way away from it. But the promise of the gospel, the promise of the gospel is that that taste is not permanent. It's the very nature of why this is good news. So, so graciously speaking, it seems to be reasonably irrational to say that anything that's good or anything that's evil is based upon just random love or a random kindness or a random affection. But evil things are just based on random aggravation and random irritation and, and random rage. It just seems irrational to say that those don't come from somewhere. And so likewise, it seems to be reasonably irrational to conclude that because there's evil, therefore God can't be good. But that seems to be irrational to say that, well, this didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen, therefore God is not good. See, just a moment of thinking through the math, it just it doesn't work. In fact, the beauty of the gospel 
is that when it comes to the problem of evil, the only answer that brings any hope and any satisfaction to our soul is in the goodness of God. That's the only place we can find hope for the problem of evil. David Platt says this, we have a loving Father who gives us only what will work together for our good. God uses sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph, whether in this life or the life to come. If you're a Christian, you you have guaranteed surprising triumph. That triumph you may discover in the operating room. Or that triumph you may discover after you breathe your last. But if you're a believer, it is impossible for you to not have this triumph. It is a promise from Almighty God. And how do we know that's true? Well, because you are putting in your belief and your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. You've done it once and and you keep doing it. And so the reality of putting your faith in Jesus Christ means that this promise of triumph is real. And how do we know this promise of triumph is real? Because Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. See, we can shout with Paul, death. Death where? I'm looking. I can't find your victory. Death, where? I'm I'm looking. I'm turning. Where is your sting? So thankful Chuck Underhill pointed me to a song a few days ago that I've been listening to and enjoying the last few days. and, And I love one of the lines. It goes like this. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. No pressure. We should probably try to sing that next week. <laughs> that, that's, that's when my life Began. Everything before crisis is just stuff. But my life began in this moment where my salvation was purchased through Jesus Christ. See, that's why the triumph exists. That's why we can be confident in the triumph. Not because of us or our emotions or our feelings, but because of Jesus. Winfrey Brisley is a wife and a mom in Charlotte, North Carolina. She is also a former English teacher, and she has openly confessed that when she gets a book, she reads the last page first. All right, I'm dying. Anybody? Anybody do that? Nice, Charlie, go. Caroline, all right, I love it. Yeah, okay, good. Um, I I love what she says about it, though. It, It makes a lot of sense. I need to know that the struggle will be worth it, that the characters will grow, that relationships will strengthen, that there will be redemption in the end. And then she says this, the Christian life is much the same. We are better able to bear struggle and difficulty by looking forward to the reward God has promised for those who are in Christ. What kind of reward are we talking about? What what kind of promise is this? Well, on her advice, 
from Winfrey. Let's, let's go to the last page of the book. Here's the last two sentences of the Bible. Revelation 22, 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So be it. Yes, come, Lord Jesus. So that's the end of the story. Should that have any impact on our lives? This is the definition of a heaping, helping, a victory, and triumph. These, these words at the end of the book, they point us to the reality of the story that has already been written on our behalf, regardless of what happens tonight or tomorrow or Thursday afternoon. And what is that victory? This is what Jesus said, John 16, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So Jesus says you might have trouble. You might have tribulation. 50-50 chance you, you might have something go wrong. Jesus says you might have some health issues at some point in your life. Maybe after 70, maybe, maybe not. Not really sure. You, you might have problems, I don't know, Christmas 1974. Just look out that year. You know, maybe, maybe that year will be tough. You might have some trouble then. Is that the language Jesus uses? No. Jesus says you will have trouble. And if any Christian tells you different, they're lying. And if any pastor tells you different, they're lying. Because Jesus said we will have trouble, we will have stress, we will have anxiety, we will have fear, we will have worry, there will be mistakes, there will be tragedies, there will be problems. They will happen. They will happen. And what's the answer that Jesus gives for all of those trials and troubles and tribulations? He, he says the answer is me. He, he gives himself. He tells his friends, I have overcome this world. I've overcome the, the trials and the troubles and the tribulations and the tragedies. See, Jesus, he overcame being betrayed by a friend to death. Jesus overcame being called out by church folks, condemning him to death. Jesus overcame a politician actually condemning him to death. Jesus overcame soldiers putting him to death. And Jesus overcame death. Jesus conquered the grave. Jesus arose with our freedom in his hand. That's what Jesus did. Listen, that is triumph. That is victory. It never fades. It never goes away. It's always true in every single moment. It can't be changed. So if you are believing in and trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus, then you can wear His victory and His triumph like your favorite pair of shoes. 
and you can walk in them all the time. And you can take his offer and you can live in it and you can enjoy it. But what offer is that? What does Jesus say? He says, here, take my peace. Take my peace. I love how the King James says it. Here, take my peace and be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Now, someone might say, I don't understand that. What do you mean, be of good cheer? What do you mean, be of good cheer? What is Jesus talking about? Look, I, you know, my team just lost. You know, my GPA just dropped and I, I lost my scholarship. Be of good cheer. Look, I just found out that, that I'm going to lose my job. I, I just found out that I have a terrible disease. Be, be of good cheer. Look, my spouse is impossible and, and my kids are irresponsible. What, what do you mean, be of good cheer? What, what is Jesus talking about? Well, this is what it means in, in the simplest way I can put it. If you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, then right now, in this moment, you are safe in his arms. And if you breathe your last before I quit preaching and you are in Christ, you are safe in the arms of Jesus. And that does not change yesterday, today, or tomorrow because it's all defined by Him. And that's why we keep putting our faith in Him. Now someone might say, I don't know if I can track with that. <laughs> or, or better yet, what about that life to come part, right? The, the, the triumph and the victory of Jesus, if you don't experience it in some earthly way, if you're a Christian, you're promised and guaranteed to experience it in the life to come. And some of them might say, ah, I don't know about this life to come stuff. Now, I don't have time for a spiritual layaway plan. I got problems now. Someone else might say, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, everything that you're saying sounds crazy. I mean, the, the whole notion of a life to come, I mean, that's ridiculous. That's not true. Life after death is not real. Someone might say, look, that's, that's just something that r religious extremists, they, they conjured up years ago. Look, you, you live, you die, and that's it, and that's all there is to it. Some people, many people think that. And let me just say this, I'm not convinced that the way we reach our lost neighbor is to go stand on the corner and take a bullhorn and shout in their ear, turn and burn. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not what God is calling us to do. But I will say this, we should not be soft on the language of the Bible when it comes to life after death. So this is what Jesus said. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me to tear out my eye and throw it away from me. A different ring to that song, right? Doesn't, doesn't sound like the children's songs we normally sing, right? Here's the thing that Jesus kept talking. Matthew 5, verse 30. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. 
who had to cut his hand off because he was illegally and legally stealing money from people? Yeah, that's, that's not the song we sing, is it? No, the, these things are not comfortable. This, these are not the children's songs that we sing. This is not what we put, the, the verses that we write in cards that we send to people, right? Is Jesus using strong language? Yep. Is Jesus using passionate language? Yes. Is Jesus using language that for us is just hard to filter through? Yes. But don't miss the point. Because the point is very clear. Anything is better than going to hell. Do not casually consider these words from Jesus. Mike Whitmer says this, we must not forget what Jesus saves us from. Fear is the right motivation when the danger is real. And then he says this, meeting a bear in the woods is the wrong time to say, I refuse to be motivated by fear. I choose to act entirely from love. You'll be lunch, he says. And then he says this, if hell is real, and again, it is because of the authority of Jesus. If hell is real, people should be more afraid of it than of anything else. So maybe you're thinking, bless Dow's heart. He's not feeling good today. He's a little off kilter. Man, this, this sermon was supposed to be on the goodness of God. Now he's telling us to pull our eyes out, cut our hands off, and be afraid of hell. What in the world happened? This thing got off track fast. So where is the goodness of God in this heavy conversation? Well, listen again to the shepherd boy and turn king. Surely goodness will follow me. The word follow here is, is probably best described as pursue. In other words, the goodness of God is chasing after you right now. If you are not a Christian, and you have never repented of your sin. You've never surrendered and yielded your life to Jesus. You're, you're in your sin right now. Then, then please know this. That the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and all the other people we mentioned. That, that God who says there's no one besides him. That God is chasing you with his goodness. It's, it's who he is. So you have not stepped yet into the threshold of hell. Therefore, the hell that Jesus talked about more than he talked about heaven. Therefore, God's goodness is chasing after you right now. See, all the days of your life up until this moment, God's common grace and his common goodness has been chasing after you. And even now you've heard these beautiful expressions of the gospel of Jesus of Nazareth, of the Son of God. And so God is chasing after you with his goodness. He's pursuing you with his grace. He's pursuing you with his salvation. His goodness is great in your life right now if you're not a Christian. But there is no common grace and common goodness after death. That's not how the math works. And so using the very words of Jesus, we would plead with you today to repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn to Jesus. And if you're a believer... If you've already surrendered, if you already received salvation in Jesus Christ, if He's already rescued you, 
then please know this. The goodness of God is chasing you right now. Stephen Cole said this, the rest of the world pursues goodness and love, but we have God's goodness and loyal love pursuing us. I love that. I want to be pursued by the loyal love of God. And how long does that last? When does this loyal love have a cutoff point? Listen again to what David says. Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. The good days, the bad days, the horrible days, the healthy days, the terrific days, and the tragic days. There's, there's no days left out. It's, it's the nature of who God is. Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Think about someone you know who is a believer who maybe died years ago. That's not a Bible verse to them anymore. It's reality. And so for us here, this is not just a, a Bible verse. It is based on the person of Jesus, the historical and spiritual realities of Jesus. It's, it's based on the Creator God and all that He has done to display Himself to the universe. And so when we hear that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, that is victory, that is triumph, and it's victory and triumph right now. And it will be victory and triumph forever and ever and ever. So let me see if I can set this into a little more of, of our real life here. Tim Thornborough wrote about his elderly mother about a year ago. And this is what he said. Visits to my mom follow a predictable path. She recognizes me as I walk in. I sit with her and hold her hand. She asks me how everyone is. Her eyes betray the internal struggle to remember the people that I'm talking about, even though they're her grandchildren and her daughter-in-law. And then he goes on with the rest of the conversation. Well, I'm ready to go home whenever you are. No, Mom, you, you live here now. You've got your own lovely room right over there. So are you staying at, at my mom's house? No, Mom, I, I live close by with Kathy and the children. Well, you must have traveled a long way to get here. No, Mom, I, I just live right around the corner. And then he says this, Alzheimer's is cruel. It is slow motion time travel into the past with no return tickets on sale. It's cruel. The rec room is a place that he's sitting with his mom and talking and, and there's a, a man standing over in the corner of the rec room. He's kind of got a, a constant kind of shake and, and tremble about him. But very loudly and completely and totally out of tune, he was singing songs in the corner of the rec room that day just over by himself. And what was he singing? He was singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He was singing, I will cherish the old rugged cross. He was singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And this is what Tim Thornburgh says. 
He may be lost to those around him, to his family, to himself even, but deep within his soul, he knows he is not lost to the Lord. Through repetition, meditation, and joyful singing in days gone by, gospel truths lodged in the deepest parts of his mind are now bringing him comfort and reassurance in these distressing hours of isolation, loneliness, and fear. Please don't be entertained at this church. Sing the songs. Absorb the preaching. Take in the Sunday school lessons. Get everything you can. We are not here to impress you or please you. We are here because we want you to know the God who says there's no one besides me. So if you become the man in the corner, you've got hope. You've got victory. You've got triumph. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. It's, it's who he is. Tim goes on to say, his visit with his mom is over. No songs come to her lips, so I kissed her head for comfort in her confused helplessness. A kiss delivered with the tenderness and love with which she once kissed my infant brow. And as I leave, I pray that at the end of her life, she will know the truth of what David wrote so long ago. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, the goodness of God was pursuing that old man that day. And the goodness of God was pursuing Tim's mom, even though she didn't know what was going on. And the goodness of God was pursuing Tim as he sat in this room of pain and confusion around this slow motion disease. And how do we know that? How do we know that the goodness of God was pursuing them? We know it because Jesus arose with our freedom in His hand. That's how we know it's not a fairy tale. It's, it's not a legend. It's, it's not wishful thinking. You see, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, He is the ultimate goodness of God. He is the display of the goodness of God. So, dear Christian, surely, surely because of Jesus, goodness and mercy will follow you and pursue you and chase after you always, always.